Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. The third annual Southeast Linux Fest is happening June 10th through 12th in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you've been to Self before, you know how awesome it is. If you've never been to Self, you're missing out on one of the truly great things in life. Come to hear informative and entertaining talks from our many engaging speakers on topics from building a community to building a death ray. Come to socialize with your fellow geeks. Come to see a hillbilly deliver a highly technical talk while drunk off his ass. In addition to our normal scheduled events, we'll also have a number of affiliated events this year. We'll be having BSDA certification, LPI certification, training from Puppet Labs, Drupal Camp, and UbuCon, and a build an open source cloud day. So come to the Southeast Linux Fest June 10th through 12th in Spartanburg or regret it for the rest of your life. For more information, visit www.southeastlinuxfest.org. and welcome to Lennox in the Ham Shack. We are back. We took a little short vacation. Um, we didn't break any federal laws getting back into the country. We're not even going to discuss what happened while we were out. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, I would like to introduce to you the brains of this outfit up in Flippin', Arkansas. Yes, it's a real place, folks, believe it or not. Russ, K5TUX. Hello, Russ. Hello, Richard. It's been a long time. Uh, yes, I was is... thinking you didn't love me anymore. Well, I was thinking the same thing about you, but then there was that whole incident down in Tijuana that we're not going to talk about. Uh huh. Do not say burro. Hey, man, I grew up in Mesquite, Texas. I've seen way worse than that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, moving on. This is Russ, K5TUX, and I'm still alive. I managed to get out of my surgery with all my parts intact and uh, doing pretty good. So I, that's why we're back and why I wasn't here for a little while and why Richard went off to Indonesia and rented a bicycle and there was some other stuff. Anyway. Don't ask why the Cobra had lotion on his butt. I wasn't planning to. Okay. All right, so. We have a show to do. We're on episode number 58 of Linux in the Ham Shack, and thanks, everybody, for sticking around and waiting for us to get our asses back in gear and put them back here in the chair and get some content out. So we do actually have some stuff to talk about, probably too much. Wow, that many? Yeah, that many. Holy crap. And I guess we'll uh, 
let you start off with uh, your thing because your thing's first on the list. We ought to be getting paid. We do get paid a little bit. We'll talk about that toward the end. I'm not seeing no paycheck. Well, I'm, yeah, we're not exactly drawing a pension or anything, but we, you know, there's some money involved. But like oh, I said, okay. we'll talk about that at the end. Okay. So what are we going to do next? Oh, um, yeah. There's a lot of letters and numbers up there in the Etherpad that you, you put there a couple of weeks ago that I'm I don't look, know what I'm any look, of them mean. So I'm looking for it. Well, you here? know, we talked a few episodes back about, uh, whisper whisper. Yes. And everybody, we got input on it and people liked it and everything. And something has been bugging the badger out of me is that, uh, well, anybody that listens to either one of the shows regularly knows that uh, I'm like the digital guy. I'd rather use a computer to talk to people than anything else. You know, I hate telephones and, um, don't particularly like talking on the radio and that kind of stuff. So digital, digital, it was packet and Amtor and, uh, Riddy and, PSK when it come around and I've been playing with Olivia and this new one called Contestia, which we're probably going to have to drag Dave back on here to talk about Contestia because I think that's something that he did. But anyway, there was a signal that I never could identify. I just could not identify it because after you listen to these signals enough, it's kind of like a piece of music. You know, when a song starts on the radio, you can hear like, one or two bars of it and you know what song it is well it's kind of that way with digital too i kept plugging away at it and plugging away at it and plugging away at it and i finally figured out what i hadn't checked which was a mode called jt65 now jt65 is part of the uh, wsjt package you know we were talking about whisper uh written by joe k1jt previous to the whisper stuff he had started working on uh, a package which contained protocols for high-speed meteor scatter, uh, Earth-Moon-Earth, weak signal contacts, and stuff like that. And one of those modes is JT-65. Now, uh, I believe it's four variations on that mode now, A, B, C, and D. I would have to go back and check because I was remiss in filling out my notes. But I went over to the website. Now, the good thing is that these guys, I think they're running Linux out there at Princeton because everything I've had to go pull off the servers out there for one reason or another has always had a Linux version. In fact, I don't think there is a, uh, a Windows program for running JT65, but it doesn't have anything to do with this suite of programs we're talking about tonight. So, JT65. Originally, JT65 was uh, developed for uh, weak signal EME contacts. For you guys that are fairly new to amateur radio, EME. <laughs> you know how us amateur radio operators know like to use these vague and cryptic uh, acronyms. EME. Earth, Moon, Earth. All right. So you could take a little bit of power and less of a setup with JT-65 and bounce signals off the moon. Ham radio operators been doing it for a long, long time. <laughs> I, got a, I got a question for you, Mr. Ham radio operator. What? 
how do you know you're bouncing a signal off the moon as opposed to doing it some other way? Um, don't ask me. I've never worked moon bounce. Oh, well, you're talking about moon bounce and I thought, no, no, actually I'm talking about JT 65. Well, okay. Well, the benefit is that some folks have taken this and started using it with standard skywave propagation. Skip. They've started using this for skywave propagation, weak signal contacts on HF via ionospheric skip or ionospheric propagation, sporadic E, that kind of stuff. Even transequatorial, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You're able to run a really, really weak signal. And once again, we're back to this radio that only cranked down to five watts over here, even though, uh, I got the audio cranked back a little bit. Can't crank, crank it back too, too far. We discussed that before. So I went over to Princeton and I got the package, brought it over to the computer and it is far easier to install than the whisper software. All I had to do is take a look at the documentation, put it in the right directory, unarchive it and hit the go button. And it was up and running. Now I don't have any pictures here to show y'all. Well, I do have some pictures and I'm sitting here holding them, but you can't see them. So we will enter Richard's theater of the mind. And I will try and explain it to you in the JT 65, uh, user interface, you have uh, one screen, which is kind of like a big square waterfall in PSK. And it will show you the signals within the range that you're monitoring with your sound card. And it gives you the ability to click on those signals to uh, get lined up on them. Now, the other screen, the main interface is a place where you're able to see what the signals you're receiving are saying, allows you to set up your text for transmission, and that kind of stuff. It's pretty simple, pretty bare bones. However, it's quite effective. Now, one of the modes that makes this, one of the things that makes this mode work so well is that it repeats the same information over and over and over. And, um, until you switch in to the next set of messages or the next message. Your standard contact consists of about a seven-minute exchange. That is the fastest you can have a contact. If everything's clicking, you're, you're both hearing each other just fine and everything else, it's going to take you seven minutes to make this happen because this is not a rag chew mode. This is a get in there, get her done and get out kind of thing, which, uh, for you contest guys, you probably like it. Rag chewers, I would suggest you stick with one of the modes that, uh, Bill, that, uh, Dave's been introducing in FLDG. Okay. So what ends up happening when you're, when you're having, having a uh, contact is that, uh, you can either initiate a contact or you can, as with any other mode, uh, find somebody who's calling CQ and contact them. In the case of JT65, uh, it's set up where the different stations transmit at different times. This is one of the things that's really a priority when you're running JT65 is to make sure that your clock on your computer is accurate. 
one station will signal on, it's a two minute interval back and forth, two minute interval. And they call it on the zero and on the one. And what they're talking about is the minute at the top of the hour would be zero. One minute after the hour would be the one. The next, the second minute after the hour would be zero again. And the transmitters work back and forth that way. Now, in the case of initiating a contact, you're the one that's in control of when you transmit, meaning that if you tell it to transmit on the one, then the other guy transmits on the other minute. These transmissions last about 50 seconds. And considering the small amount of information that gets passed in that 60 seconds, you would probably think it's way too long. It's not a fast mode. It's not going to be something that people are going to be moving uh, NTS traffic with in a hurry. However, you transmit, then they transmit, then you transmit. That extra built-in 10 seconds gives you enough time to see if you copied their transmission. If that's the case, you're able to move on to the next part of the contact. Now, contacts are pretty standard. For at least the guys that have been around for for some time, it's call sign, signal report, location. And once that information is passed back and forth, then you tell each other 73 and you're on, on to the next contact. Now, for some of you guys, this may sound kind of boring. The guys that would work this kind of thing are kind of like the ones like myself. And I think even Russ would enjoy it because we're the same guys that want to go out and play with this whisper program because we want to see who is hearing us, hearing us and where. And you would think that there's not a lot of folks doing this, but if you listen to 20 meters a little bit up above where the PSK is, you'll hear these signals in there. And for a long time, I thought they were weather facts or something else, but it turns out that it was JT-65, and it's been going on for some time. One of the things you also need to take into account is it doesn't have hurt to have a pretty good antenna. Now, all the contacts I made were done on a G5RV at 30 feet in the air on 5 watts. And on my first outing in 15 minutes... I worked 10 stations because we got in there, did the contact, and got out. The thing that's kind of amazed me is that we did it on 10 meters with the band completely dead. Now, most of these guys were in the U.S. I think I may have picked up one that was in Europe. On 15 meters, about a half hour later, I picked up five contacts in about a half hour because there weren't as many signals on the band. But it turned out that one of them, and here we go, kids, we were talking about trans-equatorial, one of them was in South America. I think it turned out to be two or 3,000 miles away. When and if the bands start opening up, this thing is really going to be happening. It's really going to be something that y'all might want to check into. So let's back up a little bit and make sure we got everything that is in our list covered. WSJT and Whisper are both developed by Joe K1JT over at uh, over Princeton, and y'all need to like go check out some of the stuff they got going on over there. 
also the best guide that I found when I was looking to try and find something that would explain it to someone even as as dense as I am. <laughs> Somebody that is hard, so hard to get concepts across to as I am is a website called the uh, Complete Bozo's Guide to HF JT65A by Andy K3UK. Now, the website I found was actually a, a hosted version of this. I never did find his actual website, but this one will have uh, all the pertinent information. It, it is one I actually sat down and read through before I got started, and it hadn't been updated in quite a while. But all the information there, I didn't find any information there that wasn't pertinent. And that would be at, <laughs> here we go with these crazy URLs again, www.pe2pe.eu stroke WSJT underscore on underscore HF dot HTML. Now, for all of, the, all of you that are scratching your head right now and looking for the button to rewind the thing or back up so you can listen to that again, uh, just go to uh, <laughs> lhspodcast.info. The link will be in the show notes. Bill, Bill, uh, Bill is signaling, signaling in the chat room right now that he has it. Uh, y'all go on over to the website and take a look. So, Russ, have you spent any time messing with this? No, as a matter of fact, I haven't. But what I have been doing <clears throat> while listening to your explanation is reading the big bozo's guide or complete bozo's guide to HF, uh, JT65A. And it's very informative. One of the things I noticed is how similar the whisper protocol is to this, how you have the time to transmit, the time to receive, uh, the short bursts of repetitive data, Etc. Etc. So it's no surprise to me that when you look at WSJT and its basic, you know, its component parts and JT65 and Whisper, that they're all very similar. Uh, and I think I would like to try this mode. It looks pretty cool because while Whisper is neat and you can, you know, see those propagation maps and everything like that, you're not actually having a real QSO. You're just seeing who can hear you. Whereas this is actually, even though it's sort of just uh, brag taping over and over and over again, uh, at least you are making an actual contact. So uh, I think I'd like to try that. And uh, since I've never made a contact on 10 meters ever in my whole life, that sounds like it's something worth trying. Well, you know, as bad as 10 meters is, I wanted to go and see what the highest frequency I could I could actually make a contact with this thing was. Don't get me wrong. The band was completely dead. There weren't any signals on any portion of the 10 meter band that I could find other than birdies and stuff. Cause I scrolled all the way to the top and all the way back down to the bottom. And the only signals on the band that day were the WSJT signals or the JT6, JT65 signals. And uh, also, you know, there for a while when I first got back on the air back in, 0304. I played with the meteor scatter portion of the WSJT suite and, um, I never actually made any contacts with it because I just kind of ran out of time and moved on to something else. I'm actually glad that 
getting with the JT65 has brought me back to that piece of software because I intend to explore it a little more fully, especially since my HF rig also has uh, 6 meters, 2 meters, and 440, and I've got a dual bander that's not a good dual band antenna that's not hooked up right now that I'm going to run a, a cable around to where the HF rig is and uh, get that all set up. So uh, one more thing I want to mention is that after you complete or finish using the Bozo's Guide, the documentation in JT65 for a piece of software that is runs primarily on Linux, it has very good documentation. Now, we know that's a relative thing, but any question that I couldn't get answered at this website that I was talking about, I was able to get answered through the documentation. But don't just go to that website. Go check out some others. You know, this mode's been around a little while, so there's probably not a lot of, not a lot of newer information except possibly what's in the documentation. I think I've probably beat that one about to death. You know, that ought to get us through at least one segment. <laughs> <laughs> so you got any more to say on uh, JT65, Russ? Not really. I'm just fascinated by this documentation, uh, the the complete Bozo's Guide to to the mode, and looking at all the screenshots of the different waterfalls and the signal reporting and all that kind of stuff. And it's making me want to go play with it. One thing I will say: don't use the standard set of messages that pops up when you first uh, start up. There's a way to switch over to a second set of messages. Use the second set of messages because People get mad at you if you don't send them a signal report, and it doesn't happen when you use the the standard messages that come up when you first bring the program up. Okay, so anybody in the chat room got any questions before we move on? This is when we need the Jeopardy music playing. (laughs) Okay, it looks like we have no questions from the chat room, so uh, you guys just kind of kick back, rest a minute, enjoy yourself, run down the hall, uh, go out in the yard and scream like a chicken. Oh, wait a minute. Screaming chickens? Do chickens scream? I guess they do when they cut their head off, right? Actually, we have this old ritual down here in Texas. You strip all your clothes off, you get a chicken, you run out in the yard and wave it over your head and scream. That's how you promote your local football team. And with that, we'll be right back.
Okay, and we're back. All righty, so um, we we talked about my thing for a while, and if y'all got any more questions, send me send me an email. Uh, put a comment on the website. Oh yes, I almost forgot. I don't know if I posted it over at LHS yet, but it is posted over at the other place. I did an intro to JT65 video. And if it's not at the LHS website, I will make sure that is, that is, uh, posted over there post haste. So y'all can go over and take a look at it. Kind of bothers me. YouTube will only give me 10 minutes and. I'm so self-promoting, I burn up two minutes of that just with, like, credits and stuff. Oh, yeah, and the gal in the logo. Woo-hoo. Anyway, so we talked about my stuff. Now let's talk about Russ's stuff. What are we going to talk about now, Russ? Actually, this is not my stuff. This came in on an email from Bruce, VE9QRP. And this was way back in January, and we're just now coming around to talking about it and he brought up a topic that he wanted us to address if we thought it was useful and that topic is something called codec 2 which is being developed as an alternative a sort of open source and free alternative to other proprietary audio codecs and this one is similar to Speaks, uh, S-P-E-E-X codec. It's very, very low bandwidth. And I guess they're trying to promote this as a way to get audio into ham radio for modes like D-Star and other audio modes. So you don't have to use a lot of bandwidth in order to send the audio or in to, to encode the audio, which will A, make it faster, and B, make it take less bandwidth, of course. Now, I think they were shooting for, from what I saw on the website, a uh, bandwidth of about 2.5 kilobits per second, which, when you compare it to something like um, a voice over IP codec, which is typically 32 or even 64 kilobits per second, 2.5 kilobits per second in order to encode listenable audio is incredibly small. Now, there was a website that he referenced or that we found that had all the information on downloading Codec 2 and installing it and encoding audio, which goes inside of a wave container as Codec 2. Now, he even sent us a link to this file, which is a clip of our episode 53 encoded in Codec 2. Now, I don't know if this actually works anymore, but we're going to try it here. So hopefully, this will actually be what it says it is, which is what Codec 2 would sound like if you encoded Linux in the Hamshack in it. I don't think I've even heard this before. I don't, I don't think I downloaded it. So hopefully, this does something. Uh, first of all, uh, over on the website, lhspodcast.info, I have switched the donation bucket from our hosting expenses to a fund to send Linux in the Ham Shack to the Dayton Hamvention again this year. The funding limit is the same. I'm going to try and do the matching funds that I did before. And uh, if everybody could uh, use some of their leftover Christmas money, <laughs> and uh, put it in the donation bucket and help us get our booth so we can be out there at the Dayton Hamvention in Dayton again this year. 
Okay, well, we probably all remember me saying that before, and that's kind of a timely clip, actually, since the Dayton Hamvention is not all that far off. It's uh, good to remind everybody of it. That was the uh, MP3, I believe, that we put out re-encoded as Codec 2. And as you can tell from that, it's actually pretty listenable. Uh, it sounds a little robotic, a little digital uh, to me, but it uh, came out pretty good as far as I'm concerned. So this is kind of an interesting project. And uh, I have a little bit of a summary here that I'm going to read off the, uh, off the website uh, so you can sort of just summarize what the Codec 2 project is all about. But uh, do you have anything to add before I do that, Richard? Well, actually, I just want to make sure I've got a lot of stuff to say about this codec, too. I just want to make sure I put the right information in the right place. But uh, one of the things we're talking about right now is it's still, because it's still in developmental phase, there's stuff that will be added, which means that the audio has to be compressed more to reach the goal thereafter. And as far as uh, that clip you just played, and I think you played it for me another time, too, that's telephone quality <laughs> and they're currently doing tests with it via voice over IP before they move on. Uh, as far as going, uh, head to head or replacing some of the other stuff, initially when they started doing digital, trying to do digital on HF, they used a proprietary codec to make that happen and they got in some trouble with it. And I can't remember which one it was. It became an issue. They had to quit using it. They had to go find uh, uh, another codec to to do use for their digital operations on HF. Uh, now everybody's screaming and hollering about the uh, the uh, AMBE chip that's in all these D Star radios. Codec two, one of their goals is to be able to uh, retrofit these D Star radios with Codec two. In fact, one thing I read said that they're, they're hoping they might be able to build a chip that not only has the D star protocol in it, which we can run because it comes with radio, but also for codec two type repeaters for that are using that, the codec two, uh, codec that we would be able to operate on those also. Okay, if you go to um, the codec2.org site, there's a lot of information about it. But where I found the most interesting and useful information about Codec2 is at a site called rotel.com. That's www.rowetel.com. That's where you can actually download the application. Well, it's not really an application, but you can download the source code of the codec. And there is scripting in there that uses some of the Sox Linux utils, or the Sox GNU utils, I should say, SOX. And using that and the codec that you build from the Rotel.com site, you can encode audio in Codec 2 all by yourself. And uh, it, it takes a little bit of effort because you have to read through the documentation and figure out how to do the build thing, but it, it's pretty straightforward. The scripts are set up so that they make using the SOX command line easier if you actually wanted to try this out for yourself. And I have tried it myself here, and I've we have our little badger thing that I that I uh, put over Richard whenever he says bad words and nasty things about people. 
and I encoded it as a WAV file in PCM format, which is standard, and then I encoded it as a WAV file using Codec 2, and they do sound a little bit different, so let's see if I can get this to play, and you can kind of hear what one sounds like and what the other sounds like. This is the one that's encoded in a regular PCM formatted WAV file. Badger. Badger. Okay, sounds pretty good. Now here's mushroom, the, mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the one that's encoded with Codec Two. Badger, Badger. So as you can see, it's a little more robotic sounding, but of course this codec isn't alpha development, so it's certainly not perfect yet, and they're definitely working on the encoding. But yeah, I mean, one of the things they're planning on adding, which will uh, cause it to be even smaller encoding what i mean they have to make room what they have to make room for is they're planning when you take something off a hard line and put it over the air you need some kind of error correction and they're going to try and squeeze uh and some sort of forward error correction into it so that uh, it'll work more efficiently on the air Right, and that's definitely something that's going to be needed for over-the-air communication. I mean, you have error correction built into the TCP protocol when you want to send something via voice over IP, for example. But when you're doing something that's uh, involving raw audio over the air, you need to incorporate error correction into the the sound protocol because there's no underlying... Well, there is with D-Star. D-Star has its own protocol, but if you're just doing something else... Uh, you have, you have to build in the error correction into the audio. So, uh, you know, that's one thing that differentiates Codec 2 from something like Speaks, uh, and other sound projects that are out there. The other mm-hmm. thing is that Codec 2 is supposed to be entirely free, free in the sen- in the Libre sense, uh, completely open source and completely patent free. Uh, so they never have to worry about future patent encumbrances and stuff like that, which, you know, D-Star has the AMBE chip problem, and a lot of other audio codecs have their own patent issues. So that that's where Codec 2 is sort of taking us. And I heard you start to comment, so go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to talk about the error correction for just a second. I'm, I'm not real up on it. I bet if we dug day, if we were able to dig down in there, we would find that the error correction on D-Star is standard uh, FEC. And um, like I said, I'm not up on that. I may have to uh, contact uh, Pete Lovell or uh, or even Craig Green over here in Mesquite and, and find out they are way more into this than I am. But uh, it's nice to have these guys that are really playing with the D-Star or really got their hands, hooks off in the D-Star when you need to ask them a question about something's going on with it. Well, there you go, trying to give out accurate information again. I don't know what's wrong with you. There you have it. We cannot have accurate information on this show. Well, we try. You try. No, you just said you tried to. You were actually going to do research. Well, no, all I got to do is pin one of them down for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of research. There's a little bit of legwork involved. All right, so I'm not sure that I had anything else to say about Codec 2. It's an interesting project. You can tell from the uh, audio encoding that I did that even though it's in alpha stage, you can go to the sites that we mentioned, which will be in the show notes, download the encoder, and make your own Codec 2 files if you want. 
And since they are contained in a wave container, you can use codec two to encode a podcast, for example, or anything else that's a wave file. And, uh, you know, your standard players that know what a wave container is will be able to play it, even though it's codec two. So that's pretty cool. And, uh, if anything else has anything to say about that, then I'm sure we'll hear about it in feedback, but I definitely want to thank, uh, VE2 or was it VE9QRP? I think it was for sending that along and giving us a, an interesting project to look at and something to talk about. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, folks, y'all go over and check this out. Uh, these guys, it is an open source project. They, they need help in lots of ways, including, uh, the donation end, but not prime, not just there. They need help in other areas, getting this thing going and keeping it going. I'm happy to see it mainly because I'm tired of hearing people gripe about D star. Let me tell you, I got into it for, for, I don't like ICOM radios and I really don't care for D star, but around this part of the world, it's the thing that is growing up the fastest in amateur radio and emergency communications. But if, if this thing pans out and I will be happy to see it do so, as long as it doesn't make my investment in these other radios obsolete, I am way on board with it, way on board with it. And, um, one of the things I want to say before we close out this segment is that, uh, for those of you who have never actually heard a D star radio in operation, never had a conversation on one and or any other of the compressed digital codec type modes, all that stuff sounds a little tinny or robotic depending on your ear. You know, if you've got an ear for music, which Russ does, I do, you can hear that kind of stuff. In fact, I'm constantly having to turn the radios off here because guys out operating mobile that have things going on with their radios that I can hear that uh, doesn't bother anybody else. And in fact, the closest repeater to me has a really bad hum that nobody seems to be able to hear. But uh, it's uh, because you're compressing it down so much, it's like uh, Skype used to sound and sometimes still sounds. The older voice over IP phone services, like that one that got in all the trouble, Bonnage, and um, and some of the others, you know, surprisingly, we just went VOIP here for uh, our main house phone, and the quality has really come up. But they're going to be compressing this information down into a very, very, very small, very low bit rate, very tiny bit rate. They're going to make it little, y'all. And <laughs> when you do that, you have to give something up. That's why an MP3 doesn't sound like a WAV file and why a WAV file doesn't sound like vinyl. So with that, speaking of vinyl, have you got something to play for us, Russ? Oh, I'm sure I can find something to play. And by the way, if you're going to try out this Codec 2 thing, do not attempt to encode music in it. You will not like the result. And there you have it. <laughs> uh, so so the next music you hear will not be encoded in Codec 2, but you will hear something. And we've got a lot of feedback to go through on the other side of this. Uh, so I think we may have to do it Linux Outlaws style where we talk about a few, we mention a few, but we've got to get through this backlog. And hang on for some music courtesy of the AMBE plus codec.
Okay, folks, we're coming down to the wire. We have made it through, uh, most of the show. We're going to do some, do the feedback and, uh, whip it out in quick concession of uh, concession. What the hell is that? Quick concession. I don't know. It's like a speedy food cart. Take three. <laughs> We're going to whip it out in quick succession and, and get on out of here. So, all right. Who's first up in the batting, batting order, Russ? Well, first up in the batting order, we're going to take care of the donations that we got. And we want to thank everybody who has donated to our send us to the Dayton Hamvention Fund. The most recent ones we got were from Dan W., Matt M., Andrew H., and Paul G. I think you all know who you are. We thank you. Thank you very much for your donations. And we will be at the Dayton Hamvention, uh, North Hall booth 131. So we hope to see everybody there who can make it out. Uh, now, did you have another one that I didn't have? No, I think that's all of them. All right. Then why don't we whip through any Google alerts that came up and then we'll talk about some feedback. Ain't got no Google alerts. Go ahead. Okay. Well, we have a link. That came in as Google alert from N2ENN. That's Jim. He linked to us over there on his website. So there's one. What else do I got here? We are linked to by the panhandlearies.org group. And I can't remember if that's the Texas panhandle or the Oklahoma panhandle, but it's one of the two. What about the Florida panhandle? Oh, I forgot about the Florida Panhandle, but it's not them. I know it's uh, it's one of the two here in the Midwest. Ah. So we got that one, or at least I got that one. What else we got here? Oh, I want to mention the Damon and Penguin Oddcast, because he's a listener of the Linux and the Hamshack podcast, and he does his own show. He's known as uh, Reg Exorcist on the IRC. And he does some of the Podnuts podcasts, and he's also on uh, Linux for the rest of us, or Linux Basic. No, it's Linux Basics. He does that one. And he has the Damon and Penguin podcast. He talks about BSD and Linux and all that kind of stuff, and he linked to us. So thank you very much, Reg Exorcist, for that. And if anybody's interested in some more technical Linux BSD geeky stuff, go to the Damon and Penguin podcast. See how fast we can get through these when we try? Yes. Yes. Okay, I have... Short and concise. Yes. K-E-2-Y-K, Gary, has syndicated our podcast feed on ehamstore.net. And I think that's also ehamstore.com, which is really cool. So he's letting everybody know about the episodes that we put out. And if anybody goes to ehamstore.net, they will see... Our three latest episodes right there with links to our audio content. And he even sent us a quick email about that, which you had handy. Oh, no, it wasn't an email. It was a comment on the website. And that comment said, hey, guys, it's been a while, so I'm waving a hand once again. I also wanted to let you know that I set up a new blog and have added your podcast feeds. Thanks. Take care. Be well and best. 73GaryK2YK. So thanks very much, Gary. That's really cool. And I don't think anyone has promoted us quite as much as Gary, except for uh, M0TZO. So thanks to everybody there. And I think that's all the Google Alerts I have. So And everybody else. And everybody else. That's right. Everybody else who talks to everybody else about Linux and the Hamshack. Keep up the good work. 
Well, I think I've gotten through all my Google alerts, and you didn't have any, so why don't we move on to some feedback? Feedback. Feedback. Do we have any feedback that you want to, like, just sort of gloss over? Like, mention that, you know, we're trying to get through this backlog, folks. We're back almost four months. So uh, I don't want anybody to feel like we're just ignoring the feedback because we're not. But some of these are just kind of like little frilly comments, and we will recognize that you sent us some feedback, but we don't really have the time to go into our usual absurd depth about everything. That's right. If we're going to go in depth on anything, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, probably a, a gallon of ice cream. However, what I have here, uh, I think is most important, comes from who? Come from Bruce, V9QRP, V9QRP, Bruce, up in V9 land. You're not going to read that whole thing, are you? Huh? You're not going to read that whole thing, are you? We talked about Kodak 2. Yeah, Bruce is the guy that gave us the Kodak Kodak 2 information. Ask us about talking about it and running it, and there's some links in here. Y'all will find them in the show notes because I'm going to give them to Bill, and they can go over and... Take a look and everything else. How was that for quick and concise? That was very quick and concise, but thanks very much, uh, KE9QRP, uh, or sorry, VE9QRP. He's a Canadian. And I didn't know you could, no, I guess you, you could always get, uh, um, vanity call signs in Canada, right? I think so. I don't know. That's interesting. But anyway, I, I don't think he got VE9QRP by accident. Anyway. Thanks, Bruce. Bruce, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, let me do this one real quick. This one's from K1OIK. That's Bert. Uh, he made a humorous comment about the drawing on the website for Fumbling Your Foo Dog, which isn't actually a drawing. It's a, it's a piece of clip art that I found on the internet, and he thought it sounded like, or th- he thought it looked like a portrait of me. Haha, ha, very funny. Anyway, thanks, Bird, for writing in. We appreciate it. How how dare you? How dare you? How dare I? What? How dare he besmirch the looks of that food dog? That was a good-looking... F- Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks, Bird. K1OIK for the comments. Okay, next one for you. Go for it. Now we have another marathon one from BB. Yeah, see the that one's the one we got to pass up on. We can't do that one right now because we're going to talk about that later. Okay, we're going to hold BB for another another occasion. Right? Do you another. do you have the thing from Danny Boy? Uh, this one you should be able to answer. This one says, "Hello, Richard and Russ. What is the pear cast that Gene has about Apple?" Oh, that one. Yeah, that one. The podcast for, uh, that Gene has, but it's, uh, techno- kind of a technology thing, but it's mostly Apple oriented. And, uh, that's Gene Steinberg from over at the Paracast for, uh, those of you who are interested is called the Tech Night Owl podcast. Tech Night Owl. And, um, I believe it's hosted in the same place. If you go over to the Paracast website and click on the link, it all take you on over there. Um, Gene's really good people. Uh, he's kind of lost his mind since he ended up on a radio network, but hey, if he wants to run almost an hour's worth of commercials on a three hour show, that's his deal. He's just like broadcast radio. Still my bud. 
I'm st- I'm not sure what hemp powder and handgun holsters have to do with the paranormal. However, it's his show. That's right. And we always encourage people to do whatever they want because we do whatever we want. However, I, I am thinking about getting one of those Berkey water filters. Okay. We'll see. Then the advertising is working. I guess so. I guess so. Okay. So we got this one from Dave. You want me to go ahead and do this one? Sure. Okay. This is from Dave K1. I'm sorry. K I six Z H D. And he says, hello, K5 TUX and KB5 JBV. No email on QRZ listed for KA9 WKA. Well, that's because Bill is very private and doesn't want anybody to know where he lives or who he is or anything like that. But it's called, his email address is hatemail at google.com. Hatemail at google.com. No, no, no. It's hatemail at lhspodcast.info. And if you think we're kidding, we're not. Google.com. <laughs> you know, hatemail at google.com, I guarantee you, goes to Google. Anyway, KI6 said HD here. Name here is David, and the QTH is Santa Clara, California. I just found the lhspodcast.info site very nice. I, too, am a longtime Linux user, author of various documentation sets for Trinity OS, IP Masquerade, SANS Linux Security Step-by-Step, and a newish ham. Putting the two- Yeah, I haven't either. I've probably read at least one of those, though. Anyway, putting the two together has been um, challenging for any... Or for my distro of choice, CentOS, but I've never been known to take the easy path. I've been documenting as I go and on other related ham topics at, I'll have to post this so Bill can put it in the show notes, but it's www.trinityos.com slash ham, all caps, slash index dash ham dot html. No doubt the website needs a facelift, but it's not the content that matters. Anyway, thought it might be interesting URL to some of your readers and might spark some other topics for the site, etc. By the way, on the lhspodcast.info slash about link, there aren't any email URLs for the three of you. I understand that your group might prefer everything to be on a blog, etc., but offering email as an alternative mechanism to being lost in the long thread on that page is always good, in my humble opinion. PPS, I need to look, but have you covered trusted QSL on Linux? I have 1.10 running today, but 1.13 is not compiling. Tried contacting all three Hamza's sf.net email addresses listed on the SourceForge site, and all three bounce. That's from David, KI6ZHD. Okay, well, there's a couple of things there we need to address. First of all, no, there are no email URLs on the website, and I probably want to keep it that way. If you listen to the show, you know what our email addresses are. And, of course, Bill's is hatemail at lhspodcast.info. Now, as far as trusted QSL on Linux, yes, we have discussed it. And I just don't happen to remember what episode we discussed it in. We did talk about Trusted QSL because I talked about my problems with Trusted QSL under Linux, and we discussed how I got things working. I just don't remember what episode that was. Now, I could probably search our own website for Trusted QSL, and it will tell me. So let me do that. It looks like it might have been episode number 46. 
No, I take it back. It was in episode number 43. 43 was the original episode we talked about Trusted QSL, but there's also an additional reference to it because of feedback in episode number 46. So if you're interested in Logbook of the World and Trusted QSL, check out episodes 43 and 46. This one is from Leif, KC8RWR, although he's American, so he probably pronounces that Leif. This is a comment that is actually directed to OZ1AKN, who submitted a previous comment, and KC8RWR's comment to OZ1AKN's comment, to make things complicated, is, if you have a machine with Linux and only Linux on it and you want to add Windows for dual booting, you don't absolutely have to remove Linux and start over. Assuming that the Linux partition is are not completely filled, you can shrink them using gparted, then you can create a Windows partition in the space that's freed up and install Windows. If that doesn't work, another option I have used is Partition Magic, but that is non-free commercial program which has been discontinued, all three of which are reasons not to use it. If you can get a hold of an old copy of it, that might work. In any case, if you try resizing your Linux partition, I would definitely recommend anything on your Linux partition which is worth backing up be backed up first. That pretty much goes without saying anytime you make radical changes to your system. My favorite option, though, is just to grab an old hard drive nobody's using, install it, and install Windows on that. Of course, all of this is only worthwhile if you have something in the Linux install worth saving, like if you spend a bunch of time or effort configuring it already, or if something important is saved there. If it's just a quick generic install you could redo easily, it would be best to just start from scratch and install Windows first, then Linux. So thanks, Leaf, for your comments, KC8RWR, and hopefully OZ1AKN gets that or has read the comments on the website. And I think we talked about that enough in the episode in which this came up, which was 56, so I think we can move on. March 21st, uh, the newest alpha release of uh, CQR Log 1.0 is out. Uh, They posted that over on the... uh, uh, wherever the hell it is, Linux AM <laughs> news group. And I wanted to get that in earlier, but I didn't. And there will be a link in the show notes. I'm sure there will if there's a link to be had. Yeah, I'm working on that right now. So there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, I'd encourage y'all to go over and check out the uh, Linux AM news group. I believe it's, uh, believe it's at Yahoo. If I can get to the bottom of it. Dave over at FL did you post a lot of a lot of stuff over there and helps out. Yeah, it's uh over at Yahoo. Just uh, look for Linux Hams and search for Linux Hams and you'll be able to find it. Okay, that we've only got I guess one more. Well, we've got one more and then we got a uh something else I just want to bring up here. Uh and then there's a couple of announcements we can get through. So here's the one more that we're going to do, and then we're down to uh, a couple left over that we're going to have to hit in the next episode, but they have content worth mentioning, so we're going we're gonna to do that. So nobody gets left out. Okay. All right. Well, this one's from Jim, N2ENN, and it's a comment on the website, and he says, Today is March 24th. I just finished installing straight Debian since I was having video freeze-ups and funky mouse cursor problems with Mint Debian. So I have the following make easiers. Number one, extra repositories. In the system slash administration tab, there is a package called software sources. Make sure that all the square checkboxes are checked, then tick close. 
number two regarding flash and ganache. This one's for you, Richard. <laughs> it says, uh, huh? we'll, see. we'll see. Okay. It says, don't worry about ganache. Once you have the non-free repositories ticked, open Synaptic Package Manager and install Flash Plugin dash non-free. Or, alternately, open a root terminal and type app dash get install Flash Plugin dash non-free. You now have Flash. All the butts will bob up and down properly on the porn pages. Thank you. I have to have my bobbing butts. That's right. And so you don't have to worry about Ganache because uh, I believe it either uninstalls it or it makes the Flash Player, the actual Adobe Flash Player, uh, primary. So there you Bobby go. Butts, Bobby Butts. All the boobies have to bounce up and down, too. Yes, and Flash will do that for you. Ah, there you go. Okay, and number three, Codex. All the Codex are already installed in the standard install. Trust me, at least that's what happens with a laptop install. If they're not installed in a desktop install, then go back to Synaptic and take the good, bad, and ugly plugins along with the base plugin. In other words, what you have to do to make Ubuntu work. Sort of an aside, 99% of what makes Ubuntu so easy is tools that are already in GNOME. Until GNOME added its WPA tool, if you wanted to use WPA under Ubuntu, you had to edit slash Etsy slash WPA supplicant files. That's why I was using PC Linux OS back in 2007. Drake Tools had a network setup wizard that would automate the WPA setup. That's a little tip for those people who are using WPA encryption on their wireless networks. While Mint Debian and Ubuntu and uh, some of the other newer distributions make uh, doing WPA configuration uh, pretty easy. Those are some pretty good tips, and uh, there you go. Just remember to app-get install flash plugin dash non-free. All your porn are belong to us. App get and ins- install all the porn butt bobbing dot net flash thingy. Got it. Yeah, there should be a meta package called like make porn work or something or, like Yeah. Or Batman and Bobbin Butt. Exactly. So anyway, thanks for that comment, Jim. That was N2ENN commenting on the website. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna keep that one. I might need that. Yeah, you might want to put that one in uh in your technical tips something tech tip bob and butt got it exactly got net okay this is something i got from one of the clubs that i belong to a member of the club sent this to uh members other members of the club so this really didn't have anything to do with linux and the ham shack specifically but it was kind of interesting and i thought other people might be interested in it so here's what he says in this email for your information, I have a trip light power supply to repair, and I got on their website and looked for a schematic. They didn't have one, so I filed a tech support request asking for one. Here is their reply. Thank you for your recent inquiry. For proprietary and safety reasons, we do not release trip light product schematics and service manuals. If you are experiencing an issue with one of our products, we will be happy to assist you in troubleshooting any external problems with this product. Please reply with history to information, etc. Thank you for choosing Triplight. And then he replies, or he comments, Of course, I was not impressed with this answer, so I sent them this reply. Thanks anyway. I'll stick to Astron Power Supplies and recommend them to my friends. They come with schematics. This is an interesting little comment on open hardware. 
And if anybody is really that sort of hardcore into it, they might want to consider going with Astron when it comes to providing power for something. Uh, if it, if it was a power supply that supports your needs, because Triplight subscribes to closed source philosophy. That was just something I wanted to bring up. Anything you want to add? Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm all in favor of the way he handled things. All my radio power supplies are Astrons. I have two 20 ampers that, uh, just chug light right along without any problems at all. Uh, I know they have them up to 50 amps and possibly even a hundred amps and they, they are fantastic. Y'all go on over and check Astron out. If you're looking for power supplies, uh, they can from time to time be pricey depending on where you get them. However, they are the Volkswagen of power supplies. They last forever. Yeah, and I do want to thank the author of that email. His name is Steve, and his call sign is N1NXU, which is a call sign we haven't heard on the show before, but I know he's a listener, so I wanted to make sure that he knew where I got that information from and that everybody knows who he is. So thanks, N1NXU, for that information about Triplight, and I'm definitely going to keep it in mind going forward. And for those of y'all listening to the podcast, y'all, y'all probably sitting there going, Oh my God, he just did a commercial for Astron. Well, let me tell you something. They don't have to pay me because long as I've been a radio operator, they've been, their equipment has been the best. I'd still be promoting Kenwood if they hadn't gone all flaky and geeky and Japanesey. Well, I'd oh. probably use Astron Power Supplies, too, if I needed one, but I've had this pyramid that's been chugging along for years and years and years and years, and I haven't needed one, so what are you going to do? You, know, you don't, you know, it's one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of things. I had a Yahoo Power Supply that came with a, a 750, so what was it, a 757? The 757 died two years after Dad bought Power Supply went over 20 years until it blew up. Yeah. Well, you got to like rock solid hardware. So I think we're done with feedback unless you've got something I don't have, but I do have a couple of announcements and then I guess we're done. Well, we have one from KF6 EFG, uh, asking about Indiana Linux, Linux fest. And I don't know if this thing come through Twitter, Identica, what, what the hell went on with it. But, uh, let's see. It says Russ. We met at Indiana Linux Fest, and I was wondering if you could send me a copy of your presentation. I really enjoyed the presentation, stroke discussion, and would like to comment further on it. Saturday was a blur, and I would like to be, would like the presentation slides to refresh my memory. Cordially, John, KF6EFG, TechRanch on Twitter and Identica. Yes, and I do recall that email, and I have not emailed him back. I do have the slides from that presentation in a public place on my Dropbox, and I will post the link to that in the show notes, and I will definitely email KF6EFG back and tell him where he can get the slides, because we did have a good afternoon that afternoon when we were, when we were doing my talk at ILF, and I would love to hear any additional comments that he has. I don't know why you ain't posting this mess on the website so everybody can see it. Well, I'm going to. I, I will. I just said I would. All of it, every bit of it. All right. Well, the slides don't really tell the whole story, but as soon as I get the audio from it, if it comes out, then I will post that for sure. Even the secret UFO files you keep in the cookie jar under the disk. 
Yes, I will even post the X-Files. Oh, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> okay, well, I have a couple of announcements unless you got anything else. You go ahead and make your announcements while I sit here and try and figure out if we got everything. And you know what? I bet I deleted that email that had all those links in it. Did, did I talk about the N2ENN thing on the podcast, or was I just talking to you about the ehamstore.net? Uh, you did that on the podcast. I did do that on the podcast. Yes, you spoke of, you spoke of that. Okay, then I need not speak of that again. Okay, so that means that since I don't have to talk about Jim and to ENN again, then I only have one announcement. In the past couple of episodes, or maybe back even a few more than that, we've had a few folks ask if we could post a calendar of our upcoming events, including like when we're going to record the show so that people who have software that will keep ICS type calendars like Google calendar or sunbird or Zimbra or anything else that does shared calendaring would be able to subscribe to our calendar and keep up with when we're going to record, when we're going to be at events, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My announcement is that I have set that up and that in order to find it, what you would do is go to the lhspodcast.info website and on the right-hand column, if you look down the right-hand column, we have the thing that says follow us and there's four icons there. The first one is for Facebook. The second one is for Twitter. The fourth one is for our mailing lists, which I encourage everybody to sign up for the mailing list. Yeah, because he wore me out setting that up. And then there's one that looks like a calendar, and that's the one you want to click on. And there's a link there to the URL of a shared calendar that you can import into, like I said, Zimbra or Sunbird or Google Calendar or iCal or anything else that does ICS-based uh, calendar sharing and I keep that updated and that will keep your calendar updated with all of our upcoming events. So that's cool. And if you don't have any one of those applications or if you don't want to use them, what you can do is if you right click on that icon and paste the URL into a browser and put .html at the end of it, then you will see the shared calendar directly in your browser. So you don't even need an application to see the shared calendar. You just have to use that link and put a .html. But if you don't do that, you can uh, you can see it in one of your shared calendar applications. Hopefully that will appease all the people who wanted that feature. The calendar is set up, and Ted says he even has a pa- has an Astron power supply. He has a past ass NAS Badger thingy. Holy crap. <laughs> I guess I do have one other quick announcement, and that's that we will be at the Dayton Invention, May 20th to 22nd. Please donate if you can. We will be there. We will see everybody who makes it out. So please make it out. We will be giving away a computer and other stuff. So you want to be there. So what he's telling us, folks, is he's going to make Wee Wee in Ohio. I don't think we- that's what I said. Wee Wee. In Dayton. Wee wee. What you said. I don't know. I don't know either. 
How the hell do we get on that page? I'm going to wait till you come back to earth. And, um, when you do just let me know, because you need to take us home because we're done. Oh, uh, well, I'm trying to sort through all this mess over here. Oh, good God. 15 to four. Well, you should do that after the show. Well, no, if I do it now, I can get happy before I go to bed. All right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually I was looking for something else and I can't, now I can't rem- even remember what it was. Well, I hope you're not looking to me for help because I can't help you. The ICS calendar works with lightning, according to Bill. Okay. I'm not even sure what lightning is. Is that that plug-in for Thunderbird? Uh, yeah, I think it's one of them. Yeah, it's one of those calendaring plug-ins for Thunderbird. Yeah. All right. So, all right. That's all the feedback, everybody. Uh, we, we got through it fairly quick. Well... You'll listen to it fairly quick. And with, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So now we even up. We got a couple more we need to talk about. So if you sent feedback in, we didn't address it in this episode. We've still got it on hand, but we'll take care of it next time because it's got so much pertinent information in it that we just couldn't do it justice. Then like somebody released a badger in here. <laughs> Better put a cork in it. Seriously, I got skunk odor coming through the window or something. Ooh, it's knocking me out. So where was I? Uh, I I don't honestly remember. If you want to contact me, look me up on Facebook or any of the no- usual suspects. I'm KB5JBV on all of them. Or if you want to contact me directly, send me an email at KB5JBV at gmail.com. KB5JBV at gmail dot com or go on over to the LHS website at lhspodcast.info and leave a comment. I see all of them. I see stuff. I hear stuff. Doggone Russ and I've been together long enough. He can tell you that it's like I hear things that aren't even there. So with that, we're going to pitch it on over to Russ, let him give you his info, and then we're going to head on down the road. Yes, you can find me on all the social media networks as J.R. Woodman or K5TUX at 73s.org. Send us an email at info at lhspodcast.info. Go to the website, all of the information on our show and things that are coming up and everything you ever wanted to know about Linux and the Hamshack is at lhspodcast.info. And you can even leave a comment over there and we'll talk about it on the show. You can leave us a voicemail at 417-200-4811, and we'll be happy to discuss any topic that you leave us a voicemail on on the show. Or you can tell us not to air it, and we won't. We will respect your privacy. So I think that's about it for me. And uh, so back in the saddle up here between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas, this is K5TUX. And I'm going to send it down to Mesquite, Texas, where Richard is going to say... That's because Russ is in the leather. And this is KB5JBV down here, down here looking for the skunk in Texas. We'll see y'all next time.